I'm Jeff Hakeem, founder of MCM Wealth. Welcome to our podcast today. We do these podcasts to advise families, business owners, and health professionals. Our approach is to build customized portfolios for each client while offering comprehensive financial planning services. Thank you for joining us today on this educational journey designed to protect your future. Hello and welcome to the MCM podcast. I'm Wendy McConnell. Today, we will be talking to Kirk Lowry. He's a portfolio strategist at MCM and managing member of Advisable Wealth Engines. And today, we're going to have a very fascinating conversation about direct indexing. Hi, Kirk. Welcome to the show. Very pleased to be here. You're putting a lot of pressure on me by making this fascinating. So thanks a lot. <laughs> if anybody can do it, you well, we'll, to the we'll task. see how it works out. Yes. <laughs> so let's just dive right in. Uh, we actually talked to Mike Green from Simplify a little while ago about indexing. And let's reconnect a bit with that. Tell us what is indexing? Well, Wendy, one of the frustrations I have in the investment business, and I suppose it's true in most industries, is there's just a lot of jargon. And, you know, jargon is useful because when you're in the industry, it becomes a shorthand communication, you know, whether they're acronyms or just terms that becomes terms of art, that mentioning it brings with it a lot of definitions you don't have to explain. But for those that aren't in the industry, it becomes a real impediment to understanding. And, you know, we're all about understanding. And, you know, one of the things that's important is you're a much better investor when you have understanding. And we want to get away from some of these impediments to understanding and things like this. And, you know, this is a perfect example of this notion of investing uh, and indexing. There are words that we're used to knowing about, but the combination of them sometimes doesn't help. So this, this concept of indexing is also known as passive investing. That doesn't help at all, <laughs> right? But it's it's become you know the term of art for indexing. So let's start out with the word indexing. You know, an index is simply a way to measure something. And you know we use the term interchangeably with the word benchmark, which I think is a much better term, more easy to understand, because people have other places in their life where they think about a benchmark, and it's more commonly used. And a benchmark simply is a is a way to, way to measure yourself, like an average of something. And so you know we talk about indexing. So you'll hear me focus a lot on the the synonym of that, which we use um, benchmark. The other part is this term passive investing. Well, passive investing actually is a fairly good description because it's passive, meaning we're not deeply involved in in picking the stocks. And this is what Mike Green was talking about. An active investor, in contrast, you know, they'll look at things such as pouring over financial statements and doing industry research and doing trend watching and interviewing management and having processes and going with their gut. All of these things are the types of inputs an active manager has in picking investments. That doesn't happen in passive investing. Well, it's because it's exhausting. I mean, oh my goodness. It's it's exhausting and it's 
And it's very difficult to replicate. We solve that problem by having computers do the work. So you can think of passive investing as essentially having computers pick the stocks. And it does so in a way that's programmed by rules. And so we know pretty much month after month when we make the different decisions that the rules are going to be applied very similar. We all, another way to think about this is very quantitative or very objective. And that's the types of things that you're going to find with, with passive investing versus, versus active investing. How big of a deal is indexing for portfolios? Well, let's go back, oh my goodness, maybe 40 years or so ago when the concept of passive investing came to be. And it tracks the, the advancements of computers, quite honestly, with it. You know, as computers became less costly, the more applications came to be. And so there were certain people that are luminaries in our business that started you know, conceiving of this where you could have computers take a benchmark. Now, let's take a benchmark like the S&P 500. It's been around since 1920, and people are familiar with it. It's basically a set of 500 stocks that are selected, but generally are commonly known stocks representing different industries for the U.S. stock market. That's what it is. So it's been around for that amount of time, and people that were smart and had access to computers started thinking about, well, why don't we just buy all 500 stocks? to buy the benchmark, buy the thing that we're measured to, so that uh, if the benchmark is up 1%, we're up 1%. If it's down 3%, we're down 3%. Let's just buy the benchmark. And that's how it really came to be. And so because it's very objective and very quantitative, you eliminate a lot of the human error that can come into play with active management. This is what Mike Green was talking about. You know, active managers that are doing all this research, they can tend to fall in love with the stock. Well, why is that a problem? Well, when the markets start going down, you may need to sell it. Well, if you're emotionally connected to it or intellectually con connected to it, it's harder to sell it. Computers don't have that. Computers are emotionless. So they're going to sell it as it goes along. And so as a consequence, active managers have tended to underperform these benchmarks. So if I own the benchmark, I'm not going to underperform. We'll talk another aspect about that in a minute. But in, in the context of this, you know, we think about indexing because it has these objective, quantitative, easy to follow, easy to uh, execute characteristics. It's become a bigger and bigger and bigger player in portfolios. Now, it's actually the majority of assets are invested in passive investing. That happened about five years ago, where in the US stock market, more money was allocated to this very passive approach to buying stocks than active. It's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And that's the other part that we've come to play is that computer technology came to be more able. You have benchmarks that describe every type of uh, segment in around the world. You have benchmarks for bonds and different types of stocks and non-US stocks, stocks by countries. You can go down those, there's hundreds of benchmarks. So it became very granular, very easy to be specific about this. And so as a consequence, you find that 
passive investing is going to be a much more common way of investing than it ever was before. You say that when somebody purchases, say, let the the whole index of the S and P five hundred, is that what typically happens with passive? Or I was under the impression that like a four hundred one k selected certain things. What's the difference? Well, within a four hundred one k investment choice choices, there will be an S and P five hundred index fund. Typically, it's going to be an ETF or a mutual fund. I got you. And most 401k plans give you a choice. You can have active, you can have passive, and and there are ways of using both of them, as we'll talk about. So you can get an S&P 500 index fund in these different investment types. And in fact, the largest mutual funds, the largest ETFs are all passively managed for this purpose. And so when we, you know, when we think about this, you know, we're looking at the benefits of just buying the market. And that does have uh, a certain appeal. It's easy to understand. And you have, at least on the surface, this premise of great diversification. Instead of owning 10 stocks, I own 500. That's more of a veneer, I think, that gives people a false sense of security than the reality that it brings. But it's easy to explain. And what did I say a moment ago? The more people understand, the more confident they are. So there's certainly benefits to that. What are the characteristics of an investment in an index? Well, because you're buying the index, you're buying all the characteristics of an index. What does that mean? You're buying the the historical risk and return of that index. You're buying each stock in that index. You're buying the emphasis of a computer selecting those stocks. So all of those things are there. Now, as I mentioned, there are indexes for everything. So you can get benchmarks that focus on value characteristics and growth characteristics, large companies and small companies and and all these things. So you can basically find a benchmark that fits what you want. And you buy that benchmark and that gives you that exposure. But let's be clear, the vast, vast majority of these passive investments are in the S&P 500. And it's it's multiples greater. There's no sense in getting into all the details of that. So that that's really when they when people are investing in this, they're not looking at some of these more esoteric benchmarks. They're buying the S and P five hundred. What is the advantage? The biggest advantage with index investing? Well, you've got tech that's basically doing the management. Tech doesn't get tired, and tech is cheap. So low costs are going to be one of your most important aspects of it. And because it's it's very uh, rules-based, you don't have some of these exposures. When the market goes down, it, it, it sells the stocks that are down and buys the stocks that are going up. It's very dispassionate about it. And that has a lot of advantages because you don't get stuck, as I mentioned a moment ago, consciously or subconsciously, you know, hoping for a turn. Computers don't care. If it's told the rule says to sell, it sells. The rule says to buy, it buys. But because of that low cost, it allows you to, you know, basically have more money in your pocket when you do that. Why are fees so important when thinking about index investing? 
Well, remember when we talked about compounding, Wendy? Yeah, I do. Yes, yes. Don't quiz me, but yes. Yeah. Well, you know, compounding is the same animal here. So every dollar I avoid in paying in fees is a dollar I keep in my portfolio. And that dollar grows over time. It compounds. And so let's just use an example. Let's say that an, an investment earns 10% and an active manager charges 1%. So that means my net return in my portfolio is 9%. Okay. If the investment earns 10% and the fees in the, in a passive index are one tenth of 1%, then instead of getting 9% in my pocket, I'm getting 9.9% in my pocket. And power of compounding, it's truly a power. That means I'm that those extra dollars grow and grow and grow. So it's it's very important if I can get efficiency in my investing, allows me to basically get on a higher trajectory, a higher slope of my performance line than I would if I were paying higher fees as it would be the case with an active manager. Is that a typical representation of an active manager getting 1% and the passive getting a percentage of a percent? Well, what's happened in the industry is because of so many dollars getting pushed to indexing, active managers have lowered their fees, right? We see this in every aspect of our life where technology has come into play. Right? And that's good for us. That is good for us. So a lot of active managers have lowered their fees. They've become more efficient because they have more computer power. There are still certain segments like in alternative investments where the fees can still be very high, you know, upwards of one and a half percent, two percent still are, are, you know, can be found. But even though the fees have come down, if I'm paying five times the fees, one-tenth of one percent versus half percent, why pay the fees? And if I have a long enough run, if I'm a young person and I have 10, 20, 30 years to go in an investment, what seems like a small difference grows to be a much bigger difference because of the power of compounding. Yeah, like one percent doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it really can be. Absolutely. That 1% next year is 1.1%. Following year, it's one point, what is it? 1.3% uh, uh, kind of thing. So it just grows. <laughs> What's the biggest disadvantage with index investing? Well, this has come to roost over the last 10, 15 years. These benchmarks that are used, like the S&P 500, generally are defined based upon the what's called the cap weighting, the capitalization weight. How, what is the value of that stock in aggregate? So you take the number of shares of, that are outstanding times the price of the share, and that gives you a valuation, what's called the capitalization of that stock. And, oh, I'm going to say maybe it was seven years ago, a little bit longer, we reached the, the, the trillion dollar valuation company. 
So there, you know, NVIDIA is the most recent one where you have stock, you know, companies that are worth over a trillion dollars. So what happens in these indexes, Wendy, is that they're they're generally ordered by their 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 value. So you in the SP 500, you'll have the highest value to the lowest value mm-hmm. of the 500. That's even more so like, for example, the Russell 2000 index, which says take the top 2000 value companies and rank them from one to 2000. Okay. So that's how they're structured, the benchmarks. What that means is that what I own in my portfolio, the biggest holding is going to be the company with the highest value. Sounds funny. But what's in the, what's uh, gone on is that you have these these concentrations that 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 occur in these in these indexes, and it goes something like this. So let's say there's a company and it's growing in value at a higher rate than other companies in the benchmark. So let's say next month you you true everything up because you want to track the benchmark. Well, that means that I have to sell some portion of the stocks that are performing less than this one company and use the cash to buy more of the company that's growing faster because it's rising in its rank inside the benchmark. So you do this with trillions of dollars and you can start getting this internal momentum that occurs. So a lot of portfolio managers are seeing that this stock is increasing in value because it is growing at a at a faster rate so they start paying more attention to it well that additional attention means what might grow a little faster than it was before and and you get this momentum that builds and it creates distortions it may not be truly wendy that that company is operating so much better so much more efficiently you know, doing such a better job of product development and so forth that it generates, that it would otherwise generate that growth rate. But because of this momentum, it starts this distortion. So what does this all mean? Well, when you look at, for example, the S&P 500, just, I think it was last week, the top eight stocks, which are all techs, are now 30% of the performance of the S&P 500. So you have this enormous concentration. Now that's fine. People don't care about it when the markets are rising. But what about 2022 when tech stocks were out of favor? Well, they were out of favor. So that brought the S&P 500 down at a much faster rate than it otherwise would have. So you get these distortions. Now, let me say this. You could take the S&P 500 and do what's called an equal weight, where every stock is the same percentage. Well, that equal weighted S&P 500, Wendy, is 1.1% so far in June of 2023. The cap-weighted version of that is about 12%. So 11% difference, which is the greatest in history, of those top stocks compared to the equal weighted stocks, and that's where your distortion comes into play. Did I overwhelm you? That was a lot. But I, I think I think I get it. Let's talk about direct indexing. So direct indexing is this term again that's sort of come to pass. It's not a great term. But basically what it is, 
to think about is a custom index. So I can take, instead of taking the S&P 500 and buying all 500 stocks at their capitalization weight for the reasons I just said, why don't I just say, take a certain segment of that? Same 500 stocks, but I'm going to start looking at different characteristics. We call them factors. So I might want characteristics like by industry, which is a common thing to do. I might want to buy consumer durables or maybe tech or or you know military companies, you know weapons companies, things like that. Whatever I want, I might want to buy companies in the S P five hundred that have lower volatility, that are more stable than than high growth companies. So I can start looking at this set of 500 in very, very specific ways. And that gives me a lot of advantages. I had the advantage of computers doing this, so it's still very efficient. But because now I can slice and dice these 500 stocks because there's such a rich historical uh, statistical base, I can begin to identify certain things that are important to me. And that gives us a way then, instead of being exposed to this over-concentration, I can begin to look at the S&P 500 and create what we call sleeves or these segments or themes that are much more aligned to what I need in my wealth plan or what my particular objectives are for my wealth plan. I may want more income, as an example, for whatever reason. So I can then take the S&P 500 and identify stocks that produce more dividends gives me more income. And I can take that segment, that sleeve, through direct indexing and apply it to my wealth plan where I want and need income, which might be in the, say, the three, four, five-year horizon. We are um, getting to pick and choose out of the 500, basically. We pick and choose to a certain extent, but the computer picks and chooses. We define our theme. We define our objective or objectives and identify those based upon what we need for our wealth plan. And then we tell the computer to go out and find those stocks that best meet that theme or need. Now, then we can decide. We rank them from best fit to worst fit to my theme or my need. And then I can decide, do I want to own the top five of those, the top 10, the top 20 of those. But that gives me a way to really define my level of concentration within a very specific and focused theme. What are the inputs then that define an investment sleeve or theme? Well, it is the kinds of objectives that we have. I might have a particular need, for example, college funding where I, I want to have some growth, but I want to make sure that it's managed uh, so it doesn't lose a lot of value, uh, would be an example. Or I, or I might be retiring in the next 10 years. So I, I want some growth, but I don't want to go crazy because you know there are things that I, I want to make sure I, I can plan for. So I can, it's having that objective is very important. So I can have build a segment of my portfolio specifically targeted to that theme in that way. Or let's say, for example, I work at a company or a, a company in a particular industry, and I've got my compensation from that company, 
And in my 401k, I've got company stock. Well, I don't want to own any more exposure to that my company, if it might be in the SP 500, or even my industry. Because if somehow my industry doesn't do well, then I get overexposed to it. So I can start focusing this by industry. There's a, so many different ways of creating that tailored portfolio structure that gives us a much better way of mapping it out to the wealth plan. How does these sleeves or themes relate to an investor's wealth plan? Well, we have horizons, short-term, mid-term, long-term, and we can start looking at aligning those investments that fit by structure. We talked before about bonds as an example, being a good investment for the short term because they have low volatility, but there also are stocks that do the same thing. And so we can have a sleeve of stocks. So we can have a little more growth in our short-term portfolio than we otherwise uh, would get if we just bought bonds. I might want for a segment of my portfolio to have very high growth stocks. So all those tech stocks, I can focus them in a sleeve and manage it as a sleeve. And I could do the same thing with other things such as cryptocurrencies and all those you know, different elements to it. So it really goes to aligning what we want to do in our wealth plan with investments that match. Well, we had Mike Green on. He talked about the advantages of active indexing. How does direct indexing, that is, relate to active portfolio management? Well, I'm going to give you a short answer here. Okay. It's the best of both worlds because I'm able to identify themes which you have like with active investing, but I'm able to build those themes very efficiently and I'm, and very objectively. So when stocks need to get bought and sold, the computer does the work. But that ability to customize and to segment by theme is very important and an advantage an active investment an active portfolio manager provides. And I can achieve much of the same objective with my sleeves. One last question for you. So when you're talking about these sleeves or themes, this is mostly for what you want your how you want your plan to work. It's not necessarily about the types of companies that you want to invest in based on, you know, morality or what have you. Exactly. And that, that's a good way to finalize this. A very common way to build a portfolio is what's called a core and a satellite. I like to think of it because people have a better visual understanding of that, like a solar system. So your core is like the sun. Your core is what you want the basics of your portfolio to do. And in there, you might have a straight up index, S&P 500 index portfolio, because it represents essentially so much of the world stock market. So that might be your core, but your sleeves, your direct indexing sleeves are like your planets. Each planet is a little bit different than the other. And so we build those sleeves based upon what we want our characteristics to be. And that gives us a way to focus our investing so that we aren't overexposed in an area or we don't have uh, unintended concentrations, like I mentioned before. So we have that focus and it gives us a way to measure the performance of our sleeves. So in, a, in any portfolio, you can have the core and the satellites. 
And these direct indexing sleeves give us that level of efficiency, the level of focus, the objectivity, and ultimately the low costs that we want. And that all of those things together you know, give us that portfolio performance that really works towards our long-term interest. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan, Kirk. It's a plan. <laughs> well, I think we're going to stop there for today before my my brain explodes because you know how <laughs> I am with numbers, but uh, very well done. It was fascinating as promised. <laughs> okay. So thank you for coming on today and hopefully we will talk to you again soon. Wendy, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. This is Jeff Hakeem again. Thank you for listening to this episode of our MCM Wealth Podcast. Please click the follow button to be notified of new episodes as they become available. Also, please visit our website at www.mcmwealth.com or call me on my direct line at 415-299-6574 so you and I can have an initial discussion. We look forward to learning about you.